Welcome to another episode of the official DigiMarkCon podcast. Here's some of the latest top-voted keynotes, panels, and masterclasses from recent DigiMarkCon digital marketing, media, and advertising conferences worldwide. Get ready to gain insight into emerging strategies, the latest trends, and best practices from industry thought leaders and experts to move your business, brand, or agency to the next level. So we are facing a once-in-a-generation crisis, a thrice-in-a-generation period of economic instability in a society that's still recovering from the last crisis, that second and third. But how's this different from the last ones that we've been facing? Well, this one's been building a lot slower than a sudden announcement of a lockdown or a sudden you know, falling off the cliff of Lehman Brothers. Um, so this one's been sort of slowly building uh, and getting more and more scary as it goes on. Um, it has a potentially much broader and more nuanced and particularly a stickier economic uh, impact, especially if you're in the UK, because there's a whole lot of, lot of other factors that are playing into making it even worse. Um, but the difference as well is because we've sort of seen it coming and see it building, um, we have a bit of time to get organized. Uh, and while not necessarily getting ahead of it, uh, we can get clearer around how to address it. So what's causing it? Well, I think a lot of people know, but in case you have been hiding under a rock, um, the fuel prices have hit a record high because of the, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine, along with energy prices that are hitting a 10-year high. I think that went up uh, last week uh, from 10 years to uh, over a generation. Um, Food prices are rising, uh, the national insurance increase, well, we'll jury's out on whether that's still going to be an issue come next Monday, but we'll see. Um, and also, you know, all sorts of other impacts that are going there. And the other thing that's particularly impacting this in the UK, aside from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, is still in recovery from COVID. Um, and also, I think uh, the political situation, I'm not going to get into detail on that, but uh, the summer break and the Tory uh, roadshow of who's going to be the next prime minister has definitely uh, slowed the response on how they can deal with this massive crisis that's unfolding. So the pressures across the society grow as some of these essential spend area categories rise. And I think everything's affected. Because you're talking about energy, and everybody has to use energy to function, uh, we're seeing rises across every single vertical and every single area. Obviously, energy being the, the major one, but you know that has obviously knock-on effects onto food, property, transport, family, and finances. Um, finance less effective, obviously. So we partnered with YouGov um, to do a survey. We did one in May, uh, and funnily enough, the results are very different come the, the survey that we did in August. Now, this sort of charts through a number of different areas uh, where people have said that there's either going to be no change uh, to their spending on average or a minimal change in uh, minimal to moderate change in how they're going to spend in these areas or a significant reduction. Now, this information is useful, except if you look at it, you might say, well, all areas are affected. Uh, so me, as a, as, a, as a brand that has a product in one of these areas, 
I start to get worried about these things because it looks like if you take this graph as it is, um, there's very little areas where people will say there'll be no reduction. Across the board, people are generally going to reduce or completely stop spending. But the problem with looking at data like this is you're not getting the nuance of understanding who is saying yes, that they, uh, who is saying that they're not going to reduce their spend and who's only going to do it minimally and identifying those specific groups in society that are going to reduce or, or cut it out. So understanding who is putting this data or who is answering these questions in these ways uh, is, is clearly important. And that's where Experian comes in. And, and one of the things that we do is to sort of give a face to who answer these questions. Because not everyone is going to experience the same level of impact, depending on whether you're on universal credit or not. You know, this might affect you very differently. Um, you know, how much energy you use will also affect it. Um, the grocery inflation is going to be there, and that's going to hit different families differently, as well as the interest rate rise. But everybody has totally different circumstances and different priorities and different things that are important to them in terms of what they would like to spend their money on that's left versus the ones that aren't. And that's what we're going to go sort of through. The key to understanding this is asking these questions now. So which customers are going to need help now and which customers are going to continue spending? Who's going to be most affected? Who's not? Um, which retail sites and which retail locations are going to have a lot more of a pinch on them and which ones are going to sort of fluctuate and, and see a bit of a rise as people sort of adjust and prioritize and spending on groceries. All of these things are important and that's part of what we generally do to the market is help and inform uh, from a geospatial level. Thanks, Josh. Um, so, We'll dig into this in a little bit more detail. So um, our clients and agencies have been saying, we need a way to deal with this challenge, right? So we need to know how we're going to change our marketing to, to survive and thrive through this latest challenge. Um, so what we've done is we have built a model for discretionary income. So we've looked at disposable income and how much the population is going to have left at the end of the month. So we're forward forecasting how they're going to be impacted by these things. Now, it is Friday morning, so I'm not going to do the technical detail. I'll describe this as a recipe. So it's a recipe where we've taken data from the Office for National Statistics, the ONS. We've taken income. We've taken tax deductions. We've taken spending within those categories that Josh put on the screen. So where are people spending? And then we've overlaid that with the price increases. So you know, knowing what the household composition is like, knowing what the income is like, how are people going to be impacted by the rise in, in fuel, the rise in energy, the rise in groceries? What's going to happen to their bank account at the end of the month when their salary's gone in and their outgoings have gone out? How much money have they got left? So we produced a model which is available to be able to look at discretionary income by anybody within the population and also location. Um, you may be familiar uh, with geographic demographic segmentation. Um, Experian has one. Um, we call it Mosaic. Um, this is how we make this stuff understandable and actionable. So Mosaic would allow us to take that change in discretionary income and understand it at the number of segments or types. It can go more granular than the ones you see on the screen described A through to O. 
And then you can use that and access it for planning, understanding what's happening within the market. You can use it from a CRM perspective. So um, you could be enriching those customer records with it to understand um, you know, changes in the customer base. Um, but more importantly, you can use it for activation. So what often happens in these sort of economic circumstances is marketing budgets are under pressure. What we need to be able to do in the marketing community is to be able to give confidence we can spend the marketing budget effectively when there's a change that's happening. Um, let me illustrate this a little bit by Mosaic Group. Um, so what we've done here is we've just taken those groups that you've seen and we've ranked them from high disposable income to low disposable income. So um, if you squint, you can see Group A um, and their disposable income is changing, right? But these guys have got about three and a half thousand pounds a month to spend at will, um, which is a pretty good position to be in. Now, we're projecting they're going to lose about 300 pounds of that per month, but still they will have a level that they can spend in the categories where they so desire. Um, if you look at the other end of the scale, group I, the ones where the, the, the bars are, are far lower, these are having a similar sort of reduction in spend. So the money in their pocket will go down by a similar amount. It's about £200, but they're going from £600 a month to £400 a month, which is not a lot to spend on all of the categories where you can think about it. And actually, we're going to come on to some scenarios where some people are even worse off. So these are aggregates. This is the average for the groups. Um, let me illustrate the gravity of this, because I think this is um, really important to get across how big an issue the cost of living crisis is. Um, so May last year, um, we would estimate that about half a million households had a discretionary income of less than £30. So once the bills have gone out, salary's gone in, they've got less than £30 to spend per month. Um, about 150,000 people would have nothing at the end of the month, zero left. So the only way that they're going to be able to spend is if they borrow. Um, now, clearly, borrowing is going to be harder in this current economic crisis. Um, on the map, you can see we've picked out some areas where we've said, actually, from May 2022 20, to May 23, this is what we think the prediction is going to be. So there's some areas where this is going to be more significant than others. And that's really important to understand the locations, not just from a, a commercial perspective, but for those local authorities. Those local authorities are going to need to help these people more because they're going to have a more of a challenge in their particular district. Let me just give you some stats on what's going to happen in May 23 if these predictions are correct. So 12 months after we've looked at it, we are thinking that not half a million households will have less than £30 a month, but 3.6 million will have less than £30 a month to spend. And actually, 2.7 of those, 2.7 million households won't have any money left in order to have discretionary income. Um, and, and the three groups that are there that are most challenged in terms of mosaic, which we'll touch on a little bit more, would be municipal tenants, family base, expensive value. Um, so from a commercial perspective, it's really important to know these people will still aspire to buy products and services, but they're not going to be able to afford it. And they're the ones from a local government, central government perspective that absolutely need the help. And we're working with those organisations to make sure that they know where they exist in high density so that they can get the support that they need. Um, 
painting a fairly bleak picture, but I'm going to move on to some of the categories because it's not bad news for every category, right? So the grocers are already launching value ranges. They're already making more value ranges. Some of them are using their loyalty programs to offer additional benefits and promotions to the customers that, that need it because um, they're competing for market share and they want us to continue spending on food. When, when the pandemic happened, we stopped going out, we started buying more groceries. That's not necessarily going to be the case this time. Um, so if we're in digital marketing, we need to know which of these customer segments um, we should focus on. And, and the chart in dark blue is the survey data. So it tells us something interesting. It tells us, as Josh said earlier, what percentage of people are planning to continue their spend in this category normally, which on this one um, is 25%. The rest of people are planning on reducing their spend on food. Um, but, but knowing that there's a large proportion of people that are planning on reducing their spend on food is interesting, but which ones? And that's where using a geographic demographic segmentation will allow you to understand who's going to do that more and who's going to do it less. So on this particular one, Mosaic's group I and J uh, were the least likely to continue spending as normal. They're absolutely the ones that are going to need support in order to have groceries. Clothing took a real hit during the pandemic. Um, so we went to work less, we socialized less, so we bought less clothes. So they had a really difficult time and they all started launching leisure wear and, you know, some of us are still definitely in our joggers or our shorts every day um, when we're working from home. Um, but it, it's, not, it's not a good news story for them. So um, over half the population are planning to reduce or spend, stop spending in this category, half. Um, that's a significant amount. And while you can see on here, uh, on the chart on the left-hand side, the sort of purple and blue, um, th th these are likely to continue spending. They're quite affluent. So that feels like a good news story for a clothing brand. However, um, if I tell you that groups N and O on the other side are high spenders in this category, they're frequent, they're the fast fashion shoppers, and lots of them are planning on reducing their spend, it's going to be a challenge. So brands are going to have to think about who their target audience is and how do they flex it. Um, as I said, we buy clothes when we go out. So let's have a look at our alcohol consumption out of the home. Um, I certainly helped mine last, last night. Um, so there's loads of press about the pub industry and how it's going to be so challenging for them. And it's with good reason, right? So a third of people saying they don't go to bars, pubs, clubs now anyway. Um, so, you know, they, they're already opted out of going and that they've got out of the habit of it. Um, only 12% are going to carry on going to the pubs, the bars, the clubs, regardless. Most people are planning on reducing their spend here. Um, and actually, the urban um, cohesion and the city prosperity, both of those are quite significant spenders. So it's not just looking across the population, it's looking who were frequently going out anyway and understanding those. Um, it's not just pubs entertainment industry overall. So if you had a theme park or a visitor location that's onshore, you're interested to know whether people are going to start doing these things. So the really interesting one here, we talked about city prosperity, the sort of lavender um, purple colour. Um, this is the area that they're planning on reducing their spend on. So they're, they're going to make some cuts somewhere and it's on days out. Um, now, they'll probably spend well when they're at the location. So if they're at the park, they're at the theme park, they're at the visitor centre, they probably spend well. So it's not just the ticket fee that they're going to lose, it's the spend on site. Um, the other yeah. thing, 
sorry, sorry. And the other thing to think about really is um, the distance. So um, Josh talked about petrol prices earlier on. Uh, you know, visiting locations need to think about how far people have to travel in order to get there. Because um, that will be quite pertinent that actually it's not the ticket cost to go, it's how much is it going to cost me in fuel to get there in the first place. A couple more to show you and then uh, we'll move on. So um, takeaways, 23% um, of the population don't do takeaways. What willpower. Fantastic people. Um, I can't say the same. I think this jacket just about does up. Um, if, <laughs> if you're delivery or just eat, um, then... The, the audience that you really want is this grey bar, senior security. They're the ones that are planning to reduce their takeaway expenditure less. They're not digitally savvy, as well as the rest of the population, and they're definitely not the audience that Deliveroo Just Eat has gone after in the past. So again, um, they'll need to start to think about how do they bring these people on who traditionally used local takeaways and wouldn't necessarily be using digital in order to get there. Um, so, so something interesting for these guys to think about. Now, there is a winner. So, TV, streaming, subscription services, we all went, oh, we need those when the pandemic hit. We need to watch Netflix, yeah? We need to subscribe to a music thing. We're going to just sit at home and watch TV. We'll be fine. And we really value these. So, 25% of us are saying we're not going to reduce our spend in this category, um, which is great news. Um, and what's also happening in this sector um, is that some of the companies started launching ad-related services so that through the funding from the ads, they can reduce the spend, the cost to the consumer. Um, so it's, it's an industry that's pivoted really, really well with that. Um, now, if you are a TV subscription company, um, groups e and L, the older population, they're sticking it out there, definitely keeping their subscriptions more than anybody. Um, the switches, if you're offering a comparison site, groups I... Groups N, Groups O, they're looking for a better deal. So they're planning on reducing their spend. They'd still like to take the service. People are not aspiring to not have it. They just want it at a cheaper rate. So yeah, competitive market would be very interesting for them. We will close this section on my favourite holidays. I can't go without the holidays, surely. And actually, a lot of people are still planning on it. So 40% are planning on cracking on with those planned vacations, um, but that means 61% are delaying or cancelling what their plans were. So they're making adjustments and reducing their spend. So if you're a travel company, you want to go and focus your marketing on those that are continuing to spend. If you have customers that are planning to reduce their spend, we've already seen some travel companies introducing instalment payments, keeping them with that booking, allowing them to pay in instalments so that they're not cancelling overall. Now, some interesting categories there. Um, there's loads more. If you're interested in another expenditure category, um, please get in touch with the guys around on the stand out there. So you know, let us know. We'd be very happy to share some more detail with you. And with that, I will hand back to Josh. Thanks, Brendan. So obviously, Brendan's given you a whole lot of charts and things like that. And the charts are really good. But, but if you actually delve into who these profiles are, it sort of brings it to life a bit more. And that's a bit, I thought I'd pull some specific scenarios from some of these groups. So we've got three ladies uh, in their 30s. Um, Emma Louise, who's from Group B, Prestige Positions. Nikki from Group H, Aspiring Homemakers. And Nadia, Group I, Family Basics. 
Now, if you were targeting women living in London in the ages 30 to 40, you would hit all of these three people. But as Brendan highlighted, the scenario for each of them is completely different based around their, their personal circumstance. So the idea of having that more refined targeting is really important, especially if you want to reduce that um, wastage in terms of uh, ad effectiveness. So Emma Louise uh, is a solicitor for a large practice and works both in the office and at home. Emma Louise enjoys brunching with the, with, like, brunching with the girls and never misses race week with Cheltenham. At home, she'll flip through the latest Vogue in front of the fire while watching a true crime drama on Netflix. That's our group B. Nikki, however, is on maternity leave as a new mum, though she was working as a marketing manager for a software company uh, just before she got pregnant. Nikki is focused on making her fairly new house a place to entertain her new mum friends. She enjoys getting coffee locally, and when she has time, uh, will work through a box set on Netflix. Nadia, however, uh, is a care home assistant, getting to work on public transport. She knows how to work to a budget, but it's quite a challenge, obviously, with two kids uh, and the hours that she works. She listens to ad-supported Spotify on her commute. So as I said, three profiles that are completely different, that on paper would still fit in the same demographic topic. So let's look at how this impacts each of them. So Emma Louise, as we said, is only seeing a 200-pound odd uh, reduction in her, or 300-pound odd uh, reduction in her discretionary income. But she's in a fortunate position that she can still afford many of her life luxuries. That said, she's still planning to cut back. Uh, she's going to put on hold the alterations that she's going to do to her house. She's going to do a full upgrade on her appliances, and she's decided to hold fire on that. Uh, and she's also decided to just in order to save a little bit more and in case this scenario gets worse, she's going to stop her sushi orders on Deliveroo. Uh, I'm not sure if I would, but, but that's what she's doing and fair play to her. Uh, she's also going to scale back on her nail appointments to once a month. She usually gets them fortnightly, but, but now it's once a month. You can see obviously a number of different areas that, that are affected, but, but it brings that information to light when you look at those categories and you look at how this group is planning to change and what they're doing. In terms of Nikki, uh, she's also feeling a similar sort of drop in terms of how much she's taking home. But, you know, that 1300 has to go a lot further now that there's three of them. She's decided to stay home a lot more and cook for herself, cutting out the restaurants altogether. So she's not going out to eat. Um, she's also forgoing her cheeky Nando's, which she enjoys on, on, on the takeaway. Um, she usually goes to the cinema multiple times. She's dropping her Cineworld subscription, so she's not going out that much anymore. Um, but she's also going to be holding on to her Netflix account because you've got to have a Netflix account. Um, she was planning to go on holiday with, uh, to Florida uh, to visit some friends um, with her partner, uh, but she's going to save that trip for another year. So that's all put on, on the side. Uh, she's also going to wait on the new furniture because she moved into a new house. She's going to get a whole new set of furniture that she's decided, let's just hold fire. The furniture at the moment is still good. We'll hold fire until next year. So that's an example of where that's been done. Nadia, however, is having to really cut back on everything across the board. Um, she's seeing a reduction down to only 393 pounds uh, left at the end of the month. She's got to afford food, um, petrol and electricity. Um, this includes a lot more cooking that 
she's going to be doing, uh, and she's going to have to prepare her lunch every single day now because she cannot afford to have a meal, um, a, a lunch poured out. She's also hoping to make a trip to see her mother, who lives abroad, um, and she has to prioritize that because her mother's ill, um, so she has to cut back on even more. Um, it's still going to be tough. Thankfully, she has a colleague who cuts hair at her for the residence where she works, and he's offered to cut her hair for free. So this is the sort of, I've taken some sensationalization in, in these scenarios, but this is the sort of real picture that you get when you can apply these groups and the sort of insight that we have on these groups. We've got hundreds of attributes that we can tell about these different groups that really bring to life who these people are and what are the choices that they're going to make. So as Brenda mentioned, we've got this cost of living dashboard. Um, and what it does is it allows you to play with the numbers as you know the interest rates continue to rise, as gas prices continue to rise, as, uh, as you know the average uh, shop costs rise and energy bills rise. You can put that data into the system and it will spit out where those discretionary incomes are going to go. They're going to map them on a map. And that's helpful if your clients or if you as a business are in the retail or leisure sector, but also we also um, provide this uh, as a service towards charities and public sector to help them who are going to be feeling the pinch a lot more. Um, but yeah, it will geospatially map it. Then you also get access to the information uh, from those groups and you can see the demographic trends and you actually get the numbers spit out as well. Uh, and you can see where those impacts are. So yeah, the cost of living dashboard is something that we've put together. It's already out in market and people are utilizing it to start shifting and getting ahead of this crisis um, from their marketing perspective, but also from a planning perspective and from a business perspective. Uh, and it's something you can speak to us about if you're interested. On a base level, what we generally do uh, when we're working with partners is, is, and this is taking out the cost of living side of things, is we do first-party profiling uh, of data. So we'll ingest your first-party data if you have it, and we'll be able to map it back to, um, to these mosaic groups. You can also map it back to hundreds of other attributes like age, income, uh, you know, uh, size of house, type of house, family life stage, um, you know, what supermarket people go to. You can map all of that against your customers, um, and, and we can basically provide those insights and do a profile report. And um, we can also enrich that data if you want to use it later on. Um, this is something that we generally work at. And this, this works for any different area rather than just cost of living. If you don't have first-party data, we also work with a number of partners, including TGI, IRI, um, uh, and YouGov as well, uh, who have information for you know, retail products and retail behaviors or, uh, or, or different areas that you know, you wouldn't necessarily collect first-party data from. Uh, and we can actually build a profile for you against these groups uh, for areas that you might not be covering. So that's a real help to know that if you don't have first-party data, we can still help on that and give you an idea of who these groups are. Once you've translated it to Mosaic, the benefit is that you can actually start activating in all channels because it's available to push to any advertising channel in a consistent way. We can either pull it back all the way to a postcode array so that you don't even have to, to use any, oh, any of these specific systems. Sorry, there we go. 
ends up doing that. Um, so that comes on social, on DSP, on a DMP, or either in TV and outdoor. Um, and also, as I said, we can do a postcard array on that. Uh, and these are through some of our partners that we work with. Brendan? Thank you. Um, so, fundamentally, with all of these audiences, you can do one of three things. So you can figure out who your audience is, your primary audience, your core, and you can target on those value-driving audiences. Who are the people that you want to reach most effectively? Who are the ones that are going to give you the best return on investment? Sometimes in these challenging markets, the core audience won't be enough to meet the requirements that you've got for driving new leads, new opportunities. You'll need to go to a secondary audience. And we can build those audiences as a stretch. So actually, let's put most of our focus on the core and then let's put some focus on the, on the stretch audience. But of course, as we talked about, particularly with the cost of living crisis, you could just off-target, you could suppress the low-value ones. You don't want to be serving communications, ads, sending emails to those people that would really like to receive those products, those services, but can't afford it. It's wasted for them. It's, it's a poor communication from their perspective. They're not going to convert. So you can do all of those three things and really optimize the campaign metrics. Um, Josh talked about some of the tools. Now, I'm going to um, ask you to do one thing after this. So if you've not seen Mosaic before, or you haven't seen it for a while, then please take the opportunity to have a look at it. Two ways you can do that. So I've got two colleagues over here, Ryan and Jimmy. Stand up, please, gents. Very handsome gentlemen. They didn't get to speak. They should have done. Um, so they have access to the segmentation portal. They can demonstrate this to you today if you would like and if you have time. If you don't have time today or you don't want it to happen today, then you can just give them your details and they'll arrange a time to do a demo for you or give you access so you can test it in your own time, right? This isn't something we're trying to sell to you. This is something we want you to go away and experience and see how useful it could be. Um, thank you, guys. Um, so the segmentation portal looks like it does on the screen. It looks at the demographic areas that are there, but it also looks at um, geographic locations. So if you're a B2B organization, but your um, business will be um, dependent on what's happening in the consumers in your area, this is also very interesting because actually if unemployment increases, if expenditure is more of a challenge, then you might find there's a B2B impact. And Experian does this both in B2C and B2B markets. So it's worthwhile having a look um, at the segmentation portal. Um, if you wanted to be able to do uh, launch a new proposition or you wanted to build an audience from the, the, the recipe up, right? You want to go and get the ingredients and you want to create this for yourselves. We've got a product that allows you to do this. It's called Audience Engine. So you can just go and create and layer on the attributes that are of interest to you. And it will then translate those into those mosaic groups or those audiences so that you can understand how you can reach them. Really easy to do. You just simply start to layer on the things that are interesting to you. It'll give you real-time counts of the number of people that your criteria selected. Um, so if we went and we went to create um, you know, the audience that have the lowest discretionary income, we can put layers on there to see which ones, you know, and where do we draw the line in terms of screening people out. Um, we've got other solutions. So we talked about cost of living today because it's so pertinent, it's so heavy in the press. Um, and I focused on the UK market because it's very easy to do so. And while we're in London, why not? 
Um, but actually, the demography exists in other countries. So um, we have consistent demography like Mosaic called Worldview in other 90 countries. So if you're looking and going, actually, I'm interested in this in multiple regions, then again, it's something that we can certainly help with. Um, and one of the other interesting trends I've talked to people about this morning is electric vehicle adoption. So there is a projection that actually we're not going to be driving these petrol and diesel cars um, in, in a few years' time. And, and, and EV adoption is significant. This is not just a thing for manufacturers. It's interesting for parking companies. It's very interesting for local authorities to look at the infrastructure and where there is a charging network for people when they want to. And again, if you look at it geographically, some areas can accommodate high electric vehicle adoption easily. They have um, driveways and the infrastructure is there. Some areas, the EV adoption is high, but actually it's really difficult for them. Now, I was aware at the weekend, the guy had come down in his electric car from Edinburgh down to Liverpool for the first time, and every place he stopped, the EV charging points were either not working or full. So it took him a lot longer. Um, that needs to change because otherwise the adoption is not going to continue. Um, so there's two examples. You can think of many others. If we can get access to the data, we can create these similar solutions, these dashboards that are real-time, they're interactive, and allow you to be able to, to um, look at what you want to. Um, so I'm just going to summarise in terms of, I guess, digital audiences for experience. So this is the data structure that we've got as a reminder. So um, demographics, as we've talked about, things like mosaic, but also household composition, life stage, income, all those sorts of things are available. Interest. So we looked at the YouGov surveys, um, you know, presented some charts on those. What do people think? What do they like to do? You know, what are their, what are their priorities? So, so all of that data is there um, and across a number of industries. Uh, purchase intent. So again, looking at whether people are intending to make purchases, not just in consumer goods, but also in financial services, which people are likely to switch their policies on an annual basis. Um, and then I guess it brings us into the life stage, right? So, um, you know, if you change job, if you move house, if you extend your family, get married, all of these will lead to certain things. And I'm thinking back to one of the descriptions that Josh was giving, the, the group B, the prestige positions, you know, putting off house projects. You know, often if you have a life stage change, that will lead you to do more in the home and DIY categories because of that, that trigger that's there. So um, we've got some time for questions afterwards, but I guess I just wanted to end with this, which is what have we told you? And I'm going to cover this in two ways. So number one is what does this mean for the consumers? So um, cost of living is a problem and the worry about it is high. Um, and remember that a quarter of the population will be most adversely affected. Um, those millions of people that are going to struggle to have any discretionary income at the end of the month. That's quite stark. Now, from a marketing perspective, finance directors are going to be saying, well, let's not bother them. Let's cut the marketing budgets because this is going to be really hard. Now, the objectives are still there. We've still got to go out and recruit and retain customers. Um, so we need to think about that and then look at um, what the next stages are. Because as we've just shown you, it is a worry and there is an impact, but it's not uniform across all consumers. So not everybody's going to experience the same pressure. Not everybody's going to have the same attitude to the scenario. So it's important to be able to look at it at a more granular level 
in any population and understand who's most impacted, who's least impacted from a commercial perspective and from a community and social perspective. Um, and we need to consider targeting those more carefully as the crisis unfolds. And I think if we can do that, then actually we can be confident that we can go and spend marketing budgets in an effective way. And potentially we can survive this, but also thrive by being a little bit more intelligent about the way that we use data that it's out there, it already exists. Now, consumers are altering their spending habits as a result, but their priorities are varying. So think about those categories we talked about. Think about you know, food, think about takeaways, think about the TV subscription service, think about my priorities of holidays. They differ for each individual one. And that's not a demographic thing, that's a priorities thing, that's what's important to you. And hopefully you're all sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm going to cut back on that, but I'm definitely not cutting back on that. That's really, really important to me. Um, and we'll all have to make those sort of priorities. So understanding that's really, really important. So I guess the final thing is, um, as Josh started with, this isn't a sudden thing that's just happened. This is emerging over time and it is getting worse. And the press are making us really um, aware of that um, every single day, the doom and gloom. Um, but we can do something about it, right? So because the data already exists, because we've been able to react quickly, we can do something about this. Again, both from a commercial and a community's perspective, we can take action to make sure that the right messaging, the right support, the right facilities, the right promotions are getting to the right people. Um, it's very easy for us to be able to do that with the data that we've shown you today. Um, and therefore, I think we can say to those finance directors, well, we can do this because if we can access this stuff, we can spend effectively and we can be ahead of the competition. Not everybody's going to do this. They never do. It's about understanding the ones that are going to go, we're going to react and we're going to respond to the crisis and we're going to actually thrive in this, in this environment. Um, we will uh, open up for questions, but thank you very much. One question here is about the solution that you have with Mosaic. Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah. Mosaic, and then you said you have another similar solution called Worldview, which will like which includes other nineteen countries. What what will be the main differences between them, or are they really similar? Just because we understood really well what Mosaic would do, but just a curiosity about the Worldview one. Yeah, so the, the primary you. difference between the two is that um, Mosaic exists within other countries. So um, you can have it in UK, US, Australia, exists in many other European countries. Where Worldview is different is it's providing a consistent segmentation across those 19 countries. Um, so it's really helpful for market planning. It's really helpful for consistent execution of the same strategy within multi-countries. So often people will use Worldview to understand whether they should enter a market and test that out in the first place. If they need physical locations or distribution network, where should that be? Um, but they'll also then say, actually, you can do this consistently. So you could instruct an agency to have the similar promotions within multiple countries. Um, and it's, it's very helpful to be able to do that on a consistent basis, particularly when you haven't got great understanding of the territory that you're opening up to. Also, just to add, um, Worldview offers coverage in countries that might not have as much rich data. So where we might not have Mosaic, we will have Worldview. We've got over 100 countries on that. So it gives you that coverage where you're missing it in other areas. 
Hi, um, really good presentation. So you mentioned obviously people are going to be shifting their spending behaviours. So that might be, you know, rather than going to get your nails done every every two weeks, it's, it's going to be every one week. What about when people start to shift their spending to where maybe you can't track as well? So where I live, Facebook Marketplace, the local Facebook group, Gumtree, there's a huge you know community of people saying I'm going to buy secondhand, and that might be through you know lack of cash but it also might be from you know an ethical point of view you know why do i need to get another jumper etc how how do you track that or and also the same with like people on the lower scale if they start to saying well i'm not spending anymore but i'm going to go to the food banks how can you track that because a lot of your stuff is transactional based as well as survey based that's how you get your data i guess yeah 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 so yeah interesting point but um the data exists for the recycle market um on a survey basis um, so yeah, it would be very easy to go um, directionally accurate. Here are the consumer groups that are more likely to recycle. Um, and interestingly, it's across two pots. Um, so you know, looks at this for a project already. It's not necessarily those that um, you know can't afford it. It's those that are trying to you know promote the environmental element of it as well. Um, so you can actually draw that down into two streams. So you could say. Um, we understand those that are doing it from a from an affordability perspective, but we can also understand the the motivational perspective. Um, yes, you wouldn't have all transactional data for all things, and ONS won't cover that per se at this moment. But um, because we've got three survey panels, um, it's very easy, and, and the data goes out for surveys coded up with our demographic segmentation, so we can make that connection between what people think and who they are. We don't know who they are individually, so some of this stuff is scary. They're like, um, what, how do you know that I responded in that way? We don't. We don't know who the individuals are, but we know what their demographic segments are when they respond. Good catching everybody by the microphone as well. So, um, because I don't think I'd ask a question because I would fear dropping it. I panicked with that throw you did well. there. No I was question. like, don't be the guy to drop it now. So, <laughs> so. Where a lot of us use um, various channels to target individuals like Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, Instagram, they've got a lot of filters built into it to try and target, you know, you can everything from, you know, male, female, age groups, um, all the way down to kind of job title and things like that. You know, that's great, but I see a huge value in the product that you offer in, um, in terms of saying, well, you know, I've now honed it down to this target market, but which portion of that target market can actually afford what I'm looking to, you know, if you've only got 30 pounds left in your bank account, maybe, maybe I've got a product that is perfect for you, or actually this is something I don't want to, you know, target market that I don't want to go after. How can you overlay your data sets with the filter features that these um, platforms are providing? Because that's where I see real value. Uh, that's a great question. And one of the things that I generally encourage as a best practice is you use the mosaic to paint the picture of the customers that you're trying to reach. You would also look to layer other data sets on top of that too, because as we said, some of these groups are, they index towards a certain uh, certain personality type or certain elements, you can use the other data sets to really cap that out and make sure that you're catching the right people within that. Um, you can use these generally to scale and find that lookalike audience from from a larger, from a, from a, a broader perspective. But if you want to actually drill down, 
That's the nice thing about the data. It considers the first layer, and then you would put additional data sets on top of that just to refine and really tweak that. We have it usually with clients that, uh, you know, our we might identify Mosaic Group B is the ideal customer base for you. That you as a brand will only want to target those that are in a certain age group, like, you know, 35 to 45. So you layer on that demographic targeting on top and only catch the people within that group that will index more towards that age group, but it will have outliers. It means that then you can refine on that group to the ones within that age group that is specific to you. I think just to add on that, it's always like um, the analogy I use is recipes, right? So we're just adding ingredients to make this more efficient or making it taste better or making it um, better for us from that perspective. And, um, you know, there's a test and learn element there, but there's a lot of expertise both within our business and, you know, the, 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 the organizations that are already using the data to be able to guide people on what is the most efficient way to use these. So um, not just from a what are the right ingredients, but what do they cost, right? So let's make this efficient in the way that we layer those things on so it's more effective for you. Everybody's thinking about going to see Ryan and Jimmy to have a look at what we know about them. That's what's happening right now. And Jimmy and Ryan are feeling the pressure as a result. Don't be shy. Hey, um, so maybe a more techy question. Um, so when you showed us the sort of the statistical data proxy regarding incomes and etc., how granular can you get with uh, with that data in terms of a territory, maybe or yeah? You know? uh, we can go down when we enrich. We can enrich at a person level, at a household level, or a postcode level. Um, so, especially in the UK, that goes quite refined. You can also do it at a micro cell level, which is smaller than a postcode, which is helpful for you know areas like London. You're looking at even more refined targeting. The accuracy is pretty much there. Um, so, yeah, the, the data is there to cover that um, at a more refined level. And, and the use case tends to be most appropriate to you know what the client wants to do. So, um, a lot of digital marketing will be done at geo level, but Personal level capability is there. And we can also, you know, whatever your spec happens to be, we can work to that as well. So um, we had it with one client where we have set age bands, and they said, actually, our age bands are not um, uh, 25 to 34, they're uh, 24 to 35. Can you adjust that? We have the raw data, so we can just adjust it on, on an analytics level and then build that into the system. So the little tweaks like that, um, we can also work too. We love a technical question, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Although when you said it's a techie question, I was like, oh no. Yeah, my chance <laughs> went in the <laughs> lot. Any more? There's no such thing as a crazy question. Should have filled the whole hour, left too much time for questions. Don't worry. Good. Right, shall we stop standing here and get out of your hand? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the official Digimarcon podcast. 
Digimarcon is the largest digital marketing, media, and advertising conference and exhibition event series in the world, holding in-person and hybrid events in over 40 cities annually across 22 countries, as well as virtual events and an international cruise. Learn more about upcoming Digimarcon events near you at digimarcon.com slash events. Thanks again for listening to the official Digimarcon podcast.